you start to question your value. You start to question your self-worth. Like the more money you got, the more successful you are, and most people really do buy into that. But really, I just needed a break. What I love is helping people. I'm Julie Bauke, and welcome to The Evolved Career, a podcast where we help you determine what truly does matter most to you and how it can have a profound impact on your life. My guest today on The Evolved Career is Dr. Becca Pham Yaxheimer. And I like to start my podcast now by telling you why I invite the people I do. But first of all, welcome, Becca. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I am excited because I love your story, and therefore, I think my listeners will love your story. Um, Becca is a dentist, but so much more. And Becca's story about how she became an American, how her family got to this country, and then what she did in building her own American dream is so interesting to me. Becca and I used to be neighbors, and I have followed her on social media and have just I shake my head. First of all, I don't know where she gets all of her energy, um, but she has done such interesting things, and I think you're really going to enjoy her story. So, Becca, the year was 1975. Yes, yeah, so the year was 1975, and my dad was part of the Southern Vietnamese Air Force, and he knew that we were losing the war, and he had heard rumors of people stealing planes. Now, he flew a large military C-130 cargo plane, and he had heard rumors of people stealing planes, and he thought, if I'm not the first to steal a plane, then there will never be a second chance. So he told my family to meet at an abandoned airport. And first of all, it's a military plane. It's hard to steal. Second of all, they rationed oh, gas yeah. at the time. So he's on a food resupply mission. Gas is rationed, and he had asked God to give him favor. And so when he turned on the airplane, the gas tank went to full. The guy who um, gave him the gas on the airplane accidentally overfilled it because he went on a smoke break. And my dad was so relieved. And then my dad knew that my family couldn't meet at the abandoned airport in time because it was an old pothole rickety road and these cars. And so he pulled a bunch of wires in the airplane just to stall. And then they, they figured it out, and they fixed the airplane, and he had to go on his food resupply mission. Now, none of the crew on the plane knew what his plan was. He didn't tell anybody except for the other pilot. And so when he flew, he turned off his transponder. Because he's supposed to fly south, he went southwest so that nobody could catch him. And he flew at treetop level to avoid radar. So when he got to the airport, uh, my family members had arrived, and the crew just unloaded the rice because they had no idea what was going on. My mom, she's clutched onto my brother who's six months old. She's dragging my sister who's two years old. They're running towards the plane and my grandpa hoists my sister onto the plane and in the mass pandemonium of people trying to rush the plane, my sister falls on the plane in a pool of blood. My mom sees that. She collapses and drops the baby to the ground. And mind you, my dad's in the cockpit. He has no idea if my mom is even on the plane. And so everybody rushes the plane. They get the baby. They get my mom onto the plane. And my mom's okay. She comes to later. And my dad takes off. But before that, a Jeep pulls in with a grenade launcher pointed at the cockpit. They radio into him saying, pull over and let my family on. Now, at that moment in time during the war, you can't trust anybody. So my dad says, pull your Jeep over and I'll let your family on. As soon as that Jeep pulled over, my dad takes off and then he goes and he says to the crew member, this plane will no longer return to the country. We are leaving Vietnam and we will never return. Wow. And you weren't born yet. So you've heard these stories probably your whole life about 
how your family came together and got here. So where'd the plane go? So the plane, he flies all the way, first of all, across the ocean, and he hovers really low. And the people on the plane often say that they feel like they left by a boat because they could feel the waves skimming the belly of the plane and a dense fog kind of built in there too. And once he hit international waters, they celebrated because they knew they were free. So he's in Singapore airspace, and he radios in. He says, mayday, mayday, we're seeking asylum. And the people in Singapore have no idea what to do. Here's a military aircraft in their air airspace. They let him land in runway two. They land. My dad says he opens the door. He jumps out like a Toyota commercial and says, oh, what a feeling because they're free. And so the the officials there say, well, what do we do with you? We don't know. And my dad goes, well, send us to America. We want to be free. So they said, well, if you want to go to America, we need $20,000. This is back in 1975. And so my dad knew some missionaries in America. He um, calls them, and they wire over $20,000. And my family, all of a sudden, comes to America with nothing but the clothes on their backs. Wow. And they settled here in Ohio? Yes. So we had a church who sponsored them in Ohio. But when they came over, there were complete strangers who didn't even know them, who housed them. Wow. Who drove my dad, who didn't have a car, to job interviews so that that he could find a job. So there was so much kindness from everybody who didn't know us, wanting us to succeed in life. Wow. The power of community, the power of people pitching in to help someone who you know, is, is, is less fortunate in many ways. I mean, what a great story. So you grow up in near Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. So we, so I grew up in low income housing and we're really poor. I remember during Christmas time, no money for toys. We go to somewhere where they give us groceries and, uh, there was a table of toys and I pick out this old tattered game of Candyland, and it brought me a lot of joy. I don't know who gave it to me, but I still have this oh game gosh, to this day. Really? Because I play it with my kids to remind me how far I've come. Wow. And that's why my heart is to serve others here. Yes, fantastic. So you find your way to up, up the road to Buckeye Land. Yes. And um, what, uh, so just tell us about that, that education experience. How did you decide what you wanted to do or what your career path was going to be back then? So growing up, my parents always said, you're going to college. And the only way you're going to college is if you get some sort of scholarship. And so I worked really hard in sports and academics. And um, at, in, when I was in the sixth grade, I remember looking around and seeing everybody in braces. And I'd never gone to the dentist at this point in time because we were poor. And I begged my mom, take me to the dentist, mom, because I really want braces. I want to fit in. And so she, um, she takes me to the dentist and he looks at my teeth and he says, you don't need braces. And I'm looking around at all the cool gadgets. And at that moment in my heart, God had placed a desire for me to become a dentist. And I never left that sense is I followed that path of becoming a dentist. Wow. So you go to Ohio State, you're an undergrad and you go straight to Ohio State Dental School. Yes. So I'm at Ohio State. It's a huge, it's at the time, it's the largest college campus in the nation. And I knew I wanted to be a dentist. And me and my best friend, Zane, we figure out a way where we can get into dental school without a bachelor's degree. We go ahead and we give up our summer. We take organic chemistry one, two, and three. We go ahead and take our dental admissions test. We apply for dental school. We both get in a year early, which is very rare because normally you have to have a bachelor's degree 
We got a good score on our dental admissions test. We had good grades all through Ohio State. I mean, we busted our tail. We did not go out. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with Ohio State, but they have a science and engineering library that's open 24 hours a day. I'm studying there, falling asleep there studying. And I dedicated myself to studying because I knew if you want to get into dental school, you're going to have to get the best grades and you have to set yourself apart. So I worked hard all my life. I get into dental school a year early. I graduate and uh, I become a dentist. Wow. And so when you think back to that, that your education from when you got to Ohio State as an undergrad through dental school, what were the low points? The low points are all of my life, I've worked hard to get good grades. I got a full academic scholarship to the Ohio State University, and all of a sudden, you're in dental school with the best of the best. I get my first C. I've <gasps> never gotten a C. I've never gotten a B at this point. And so that was <laughs> wow. very, very humbling. Yeah. You probably thought, you know, I'm, I'm, it's over. I'm done. Um, and so, so, but you picked yourself back up. Was that now, now did you get any C's or B's after that? Um, I don't remember at that point. <laughs> I was in survival mode, yeah. mode in dental school. Yeah. And there were many times where it was so hard. You felt, felt like you wanted to quit, but I just pressed on and I studied and I kept taking test after test. And it was, it, it was very hard, but I knew that I wanted to be a dentist. I'm a very determined person and I loved it. I loved what I did um, when I was working on the patients. And so I pressed on. Yes. And so... Do you love being a dentist as much as you thought you would when you were a little girl and being those braces? I absolutely love being a dentist. I have gone on many mission trips where we go and help out people in rural Honduras who do not have access to care. And we go there with a folding chair, a flashlight, some numbing, and a pair of forceps. And wow. we take out teeth on these people. We um, get them out of pain. And also there's a little girl who follows me around who's interested in, in um, being a dentist there in rural Honduras. I teach her how to give anesthetic. And then the last day I teach her how to take a tooth out. She takes the tooth out and that's her aha moment. I have empowered this girl, this Honduran high school girl, which now I'm proud to say that she is a dentist working in her own wow. country. Wow. Helping that's her wonderful. own people. How long have you been going to the Honduras to do this? How many so, years did you do uh, that? I went, went there when I was in dental school. And then after I graduated and my husband went to dental school, I was an instructor over him. And I went there at that time. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And you you worked with her all these years and she's now a dentist. She is. Yeah. She is now a dentist. That's in, a in wonderful pay it forward story, isn't it? I mean, a young girl just like you, who, who was in circumstances that would not normally put her on the path to become a dentist, just like you. And now there she is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you stay in touch with her? Yes, I do. We are on social media. Of and course. <laughs> when she graduated, I celebrated with her and just, uh, you know, we message each other. Wow. Are you still doing that mission trip? Um, we haven't, but we plan to now that our kids are older. Yes. Yes. You've got three little boys. And how old are they now? So I have three boys ages 12, 10, and 7. And you and your husband are in a dental practice together. Uh, we are not in a dental practice oh, I thought together. You were. He is actually uh, in a different dental practice. Okay. Okay. Have you ever practiced together? We have never practiced okay. together. Okay. Yeah. You think that might be too much closeness, or do you think? You could... Yeah, I think that um, at, as dentists at night, our pillow talk is all about teeth and, yeah. and dentistry. <laughs> so we don't want to be together all no, the time. No, I would. I would agree. So, so you you know you're bebopping on your merry way you're raising these three adorable children you're a dentist you're going on these mission trips and then 2 years ago you were telling me your assistant said something to you that put you on a different path. Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so my dental assistant comes up to me and says, I think you should be in a pageant. 
And my response was, say what? Because as far as I knew, pageants were for girls who were 26 and under. I'm 42 years old at the time. Like, what would I be doing on stage? And she says, age doesn't matter. She goes, you serve our community so much that I think that you would do well. And she just said, you're beautiful on the inside and outside. And I think you should do a pageant. And my first initial response was, no way. I have no idea what this pageantry thing was about. And when she left, I get on the computer and I look it up and I see that three criteria, you have to be 18 and up, check. You have to be married, check. And you didn't have to have any talent, check. (laughs) So I'm the type of person that is taking risk. You only live once. Let's do this pageantry thing. So this is Mrs. Ohio. So this is for the Mrs. Ohio America pageant. And I'm Mrs. Loveland at the time. Okay. That is, I mean, so, so was your coworker involved in pageants somehow? I mean, it's just funny that she came up with this, like out of the blue. She worked with a dentist whose wife was a pageant coach okay. um, in the past. And so she just suggested it to me. So what was the, what was the prep like? So you, I mean, you can't, you fill out an application online or, or so, you know, and you sign up, you pay your fee, but that's when the real work starts. So what was it? I mean, what, tell me about that road to that, to that pageant. So pageantry in my mind at the time was just a bunch of pretty girls in gowns. But it is so much harder than that. I mean, here I am, like, getting scholarships, you know, becoming a dentist and achieving all these things. But pageantry is hard because it's all about, you know, being poised, being a leader in your community, uh, walking well. So they want somebody who speaks well and represents. So I did a lot of mock interviews with – I'm involved with Toastmasters, which is a speaking and leadership group. I did a lot of mock interviews, got a lot of constructive feedback. I met with my coach. And I'm one of those people who cannot really walk and chew gum at the same time. And in pageantry, you have to watch how you smile, how your head is. You have to make eye contact with the judges. Your arms have to sway a certain way, and so do your hips. And then you have to wear six-inch heels. Oh, my gosh. That sounds horrible. <laughs> so so um, do you walk differently now? I do. I walk with better posture okay. because if you walk with better posture, it conveys confidence. Sure. And pageantry is all about the confident woman who leads her community. So I was way off before I did pageantry on what it was, but it's actually women in your community who serve and make a difference. That is that is so interesting. What was the hardest part about the prep for you? For me, obviously, was just the walking part. The speaking part was great because I had joined Toastmasters to become a better speaker. So you joined Toastmasters before you decided to be in the pageant? No, when I, after. Okay, okay, okay. Wow. And so you, how many hours do you think you put into getting ready for the pageant? Probably over 100 hours. Wow. I mean, the last two months, I spent an hour every day for 60 days, not including meeting with my coach. Because I am so determined and so devoted in everything that I do. I'm not, if I'm not good at something, I invest the time to be better at it. Wow. Do they, do they put Vaseline on your teeth or is that, is that a myth? Yeah, you put Vaseline on your teeth so that it reminds <laughs> you to smile more. Oh, yeah. So your your lip doesn't get stuck because you're smiling so often. And I learned things that you have to use something called butt spray. I had never even heard of it. What is that? That's where you spray your bathing suit and you stick it to your butt so when you walk, you don't get a wedgie. Oh, my gosh. Cannot have a wedgie. So you're actually in a bathing suit and six-inch heels, too, right? That's right. That has to feel weird because that's not really a combination we normally uh, put together on our own. It's not. And uh, my sister and a lot of my friends always say, like, for you to be 42, now 44 years old, to get on stage in a bathing suit and have people watch you is just brave. Especially now. You know, I'm especially thinking after the last five months of COVID, you know, putting on a bathing suit, you know, everyone's talking about 
you know, all the, their COVID-19 pounds or, you know, so here you are. I mean, that is, so we're, what was the biggest surprise for you out of that pageant experience? I think the biggest surprise for me is all the work that I put in. Um, there were only 11 of us and they only picked top four. I was not even chosen to be in the top four. And that was very, very humbling to know that, you know, you have judges that they have their own set of opinions. Sure. And, you know, to me, it's that you, you don't, you, so so what? You didn't place in a pageant. You know, when am I showing my, my, my kids that I give up? No, I get back up again and I try again. It's like you try, you put in more work, you just work on who you are and you tweak things here and there. You become a better version and you try for that crown again. So you were so you went through a local pageant. Was that the Mrs. Loveland pageant, or I was, how do you how does that? What's that process? Look yeah. Like? So my title was Mrs. Loveland, Ohio, to get the Ohio crown. Okay. And then if you win Ohio, you go, go on to Mrs. America. If you win Mrs. America, you go to Mrs. World. Okay. Okay. But then where does Mrs. Queen City come in? You said something Mrs. about Mrs. Queen City is a national pageant in any state. Uh, we had Puerto Rico last year, and I think other countries that can compete also. So that's why it's a it's a bigger stage because it's a national pageant. Okay. Wow. So are you done with pageants? Are you going to keep going? So actually, I have a pageant coming up in three weeks, and that is the uh, national captivating pageant. National what? Capti- national captivating pageant. And what is that? So it's about their motto is be you, be different, be captivating. And what I loved about it is because it's all shapes and sizes and the amount of diversity of all the queens that represent this pageant system. In in what way are you most different, do you think, um, from before you got into um, competing in pageants? I think for me, I've learned to become a better speaker through Toastmasters. And there's a lot of interviewing. You get to learn who you are. What do you stand for? What are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? And so that has really shaped me into who I am and being more confident as a woman. So did was there an award for best teeth or anything? I no, mean, there, there, <laughs> there wasn't. <laughs> um, I got the Director's Choice Award, which was to the woman who showed a lot of just um, energy and positiveness towards pageantry and just devoted a lot of time to it. Wow. I mean, I, I just love the fact that you're willing to you're willing to step in and you know, really learn all kinds of new things and ways of being and really put yourself out there in a different way. Because when you think about back to undergrad and dental school, that was really about your intellectual capacity and capability, which you rocked that. And now you're putting yourself out there in a completely different way to compete. I mean, obviously you have to be smart, but because you know, they're gonna, you have to be articulate and smart and those sort of things, but they're judging you on involvement and service and frankly, posture and looks and fitness and those sort of things. And, you know, most, most women in their forties aren't really feeling really great starting in that decade about, about all of that. Now you, like, did you have to work out a lot more? I mean, it seems like it would just be exhausting. Well, I've always been into fitness and I've done 10 triathlons and I work out two hours a day. So fitness has always been a part of my routine. And so that kind of came a little bit easier. And I just think that if you work out, you just look younger. A lot of the women who are competing against me don't really even know my age, except if they listen to this podcast. And I think that, you know, take care of yourself and be healthy so that you can take care of your family. Yes. Wow. So when you when you think back and, and the way I define career is I look at, so I would define your career not only as a dentist, missionary, a pageant contestant, and a professional or expert speaker. All of those things are part of your career. 
And the only thing you get paid to do is be a dentist. And I think a lot of times we want to only call the things we get paid for our career. But I look at it as everything that you voluntarily spend your time on is a reflection of who you are. And your portfolio, if you take a look at dentist, missionary, doing dental work, pageant participant, and then expert speaker or expert level speaker, that is uniquely yours. And I'm not sure we could find another dentist in the U.S. like you. And that, I think, is what's so exciting is that the way we express how who we are and our different sides should all be a part of what we call our career. And so yours, yours has just been fascinating. As you look back, because you've got many more years left to do big things, and I know you will, um, if you were to look back and say, you know, what are really the moments that are the most special to you in the last, say, let's say 20 years since you got out of dental school? For me was when my husband and I decided that I would go part-time in dentistry and stay at, basically stay at home with my kids and work one day a week and invest volunteering in their school and also volunteering in the community. I actually have my own community service group. Oh, it is okay. called Strong Women Helping Others. Wonderful. Uh, we go out and we volunteer to better our communities. And I always invite the moms to bring their kids along so that their kids could have a love of volunteering at a young age. We go to places around Cincinnati, such as Hands Against Hunger. We go to Hope House Mission, which is a homeless shelter for women and children, and we serve food. We also go to a women's shelter that provides ultrasounds and baby clothing to families in need. I actually do uh, two large charity events every year. One that we recently did last month was called Kicking Out Poverty, and that went to the Women's Center. And all of the proceeds that people pay to play kickball went to the Women's Center. We talked about how it's important to give back. And a lot of us are very fortunate, and just to bring awareness. The second event is called the Studious Studs uh, Fashion Event, which you'll like Studious this. Studious Studs. Wow, okay. It is actually a men's pageant, and we have an all-female panel of judges judging the men. Is this like one of those bachelor auctions? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, most of them are married men, and uh. some of them are single. <laughs> but it is just um, a way for the community to bring awareness to Hope House, which is a shelter for women and children. And they pay people pay money to go watch this event. But we also talk about the charity and the importance of charity. But the fun part is that the men wear their Hawaiian wear was last year. Oh, okay. They wear evening wear and they also have an on stage interview portion and they are judged in all of these categories. Now, how hard is it to get men to agree to do this? You know, my husband always says, I don't know what it is with you, but the first year we did it, I came up with this idea. I texted 10 of my male friends within an hour. Nine of them said yes. I said, do this for charity. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so much fun. He says, you have a way of just convincing people of doing stuff. Wow. That is great. You're going to have to put me on the mailing list for those things so I can come. Yeah, and maybe help. I'll have you as a judge. Yes, I'll be a judge. Yeah. Absolutely be a judge. Um, that is great. And so that, you know, when you, so that's one of your highlights. What, um, you know, what, um, looking back, what do you, what do you wish, if anything, that you'd done differently or more of or less of? I think for me, it was, you know, growing up, my parents really couldn't help me with school. And being in the first grade, I couldn't read very well. And I knew I was in the lowest reading level. I didn't feel very intelligent. I copied off of this kid named Kevin that was next to me all the time. 
And I just didn't have that self-worth of, of knowing that I was enough. Uh, when I hit the second grade, uh, my teacher kept telling me how smart I was. And maybe she told all the kids this, mm. but I believed her. And that started building me up. And I also remember being in the sixth grade, being in love with this kid named Kevin and him saying to me, I would never date you because you're Vietnamese. I was like, whoa, like taken back. I kind of felt ashamed of who I was. And it was weird that something that people can build you up or they can tear you down, that I let somebody tear me down. But I've grown to know that I love who I am, coming from a Vietnamese heritage, the strong work ethic, and to be being proud of who you are and always working hard in the dedication. So now I wouldn't have let his words affected who I was. And it just took years to get over that. Isn't it funny how you still remember that so clearly? Yeah, I can remember some moments like that as well in my life, and I remember how it made me feel. And we talk all the time about, oh, sticks and stones. No, words can absolutely hurt. Now, your dad, he's still living, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes. And so is he around here? Still? Yes. So he lives in Dayton. He actually got a great job with U.S. Airways and was an airline pilot for the airline system. So we got to travel and uh, go everywhere free. And it was great. And then my mom, she was a blue collar worker at General Motors. She worked very hard on the assembly line. I remember her saving every paycheck. She put aside $75 for each child for our wedding fund. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. I mean, what a great story. And I know that you, just from following you on social media, I know how you honor that in everything that you do. And you've never forgotten the sacrifice of those who love you. And you weren't even born yet. Your dad was investing not only in the family he already had, but in, in you who weren't even born yet. Yeah. I often think that, you know, he came over here with a hope and dream to live the American dream and that people helped us. And so I feel like it's my obligation to pay it forward, um, to give honor to those who served my parents by serving and giving back. And so that's why I like to do things for the community and give back. And I'm not doing this just for pageantry. I've been doing this all my life. When I was um, in college, I was a part of Big Brothers Big Sisters, investing in this girl who was five years old, all the way until she was 21 years old, wow. spending time. Um, this girl was uh, from a single parent home and um, just kind of wayward and just invest time pouring into somebody else. And I hope to be an example to others that, you know, I live the American dream and I want other people to live the American dream. And all we need to do is pour our time investing in people. And I also wanted to mention that um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dress for Success Cincinnati. Yes, uh -huh. So I am a part of the Hire Her program. I'm one of the facilitators where I teach an all-day class to women who are unemployed. I find their skill sets. I help them put together resumes. And then I do mock interviews with them. And uh, Dress for Success is great is because if you land an interview, you get an outfit for the interview. And if you get the job, they provide seven suits or outfits for you to get your um, self, your feet going for that new career. And for me, it's about paying it forward because here it is, my dad coming over to this country with nothing but the clothes on his back, people not knowing him, driving him to job interviews, wanting to see him succeed. And here I am doing the same thing, investing in these women and finding them jobs. And I found jobs for some of these women already. And to me, you know, I'm not getting paid to do this, but that's the most satisfaction. And like you said, career is volunteering. Yes, yes. How do you make sure that your children understand and don't lose sight of their roots? 
you know, how how their grandpa and grandma got here? You know, how are you making sure that that story lives on with them? We are probably a couple times a year telling them the story about how, you know, we need to be grateful to be in this nation where there's freedoms, where freedom of religion and, you know, like you're free to have an education and you're not oppressed and stuff. And so we always talk about that. And we also teach them some Vietnamese so they know the language. Uh, Every year, Vietnamese New Year is in January or February. And they go to the Vietnamese show where they wear a ao yai, which is a traditional dress. And I have them go up on stage and model these dresses ah. and they didn't really want to but I figured <laughs> hey I'm mom they they do go up there they have fun and it to me it builds courage in them to be on stage and second of all like that's their heritage of right. who they are right sounds like you've got some junior studio studs in the making there that's right yeah you need to start the, the junior pageant yes so it's time to play two questions one deep and one shallow are you ready yes I'm ready all right Let's start with the shallow one. What's something that everybody else seems to like, but you just cannot, you can't bring yourself to? This is funny because at Toastmasters, I got the question of what is your least favorite zoo animal? And I said, I'm going against the grain. I said, I do not like this tiny, beady-eyed, lardy, quadruple-chin animal who is a man-killer, Fiona. Everybody (laughs) loves Fiona. I hate her. I think she is not cute, but everyone's like, she's adorable. So that is that shallow fact about (laughs) me. Anti-Fiona. Wow. That's scandalous. I know. I know. You might lose your next crown over that (laughs) one. Okay. So when you, um, what is your definition of a life well-lived? For me, my definition of a life well lived is just trusting God in everything that you do and serving other people. Because if you're serving other people, you're not self-focused, you're other focused. And our world would be a better place if we would just find value in other people, help one another out. Amen. Well, thank you, Becca. This has been fantastic. I've learned a ton more about you than I already knew. And I still don't understand when you sleep. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for your time. It was great. If you enjoyed meeting the Evolved Careerist on today's episode, well, we've got a lot more lined up for you. Subscribe, tell your friends, rate us and write a review. And of course, follow us on social media. But if you're interested in learning more about how you can evolve your career, you can contact us through theevolvedcareer.com or thebaukegroup.com. And that's B-A-U-K-E. Do you know somebody who'd be a great guest who has a great career story to tell? Or do you think you qualify? then email me. My email address is in the podcast description. Until next time, here's to your career happiness.